The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Today's uh, scripture is going to be out of Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. you're using the Bibles under the chairs, it can be found on page 876. Or you can read along on the screen behind me. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. You know, one of the benefits of being in a church this size um, is that we are pretty familiar with things that go on with one another. And, uh, our joys, our struggles, and so I, I don't know how you are this morning, but I, in a very real way, I, I feel the need uh, to be encouraged. Um, and uh, praise God that his design for that encouragement for his people is that we receive encouragement from his word and with other Christians. And so that's the design of Sunday mornings, is that we would be encouraged. And so that's my hope for us this morning. Um, and just a aside here, if you don't have a Bible at home that you enjoy reading or that uh, is easy to read, please take one of the Bibles underneath here. There's nothing better that you could do this year 
than to read God's word. So um, let me pray for us, and then we can, we can dive into Luke 17, okay? Heavenly Father, uh, grateful for this morning uh, that we know, no matter what yesterday held, that your mercies are new today, that they are real, that they are fresh, uh, that your people need all that you are. Lord, would you come and <clears throat> spend time with us this morning? Would you sit with us? Would you encourage us um, in the ways that we know we need it and even in the ways that we, uh, we might not know? So we ask these mercies in your name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys, I'm a big TV guy. I love TV, all kinds of TV. Um, it's, a, it's a hobby, really. And, but what I've noticed is, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fairly young, so I wasn't really around too much during like the Walter Cronkite news days and those sorts of things, but everything has morphed into breaking news now. I mean, it's like flash, ding, bang, you know, I mean, it's just like everywhere you go, it's like 24-hour everything. I mean, 24-hour shopping network, food network, I mean, everything's 24-hour news. And uh, you really can't go anywhere without receiving some sort of uh, political infiltration, you know, into your brain. I mean, whether you go to dinner or you go to the gym, wherever you go, there is like CNBC, all, 24-hour news everywhere. And so, uh, particularly this last week, I've been watching and following. Um, in my office, I have uh, the uh, finance channel on, but I mean, they're showing like the White House briefings now, which is, I, so I've been watching a lot of politics this week. So I was thinking back to right before the election, I was riding in the car with one of my coworkers, and we had just got done with lunch, and we were coming back, and he started telling me how he was going to vote and why he was going to vote that way. And I said, dude, you sound like a libertarian. And he looks at me and goes, well, what's a libertarian? I'm like, well, shoot. Um, so I gave him a definition of what I thought a libertarian was. And so we pull in about, you know, 10 minutes later to the office, and I did what every good person does. I looked up on Wikipedia, you know, what is a libertarian? I was way off. I mean, it, it was basically everything I had told him a libertarian, uh, which is a political party, it, it was the opposite. So I was like totally wrong on every end of the spectrum. I looked at him and I was like, okay, I was wrong. You know, you're not a libertarian. This isn't libertarian. But what I started thinking about this week as the father of a, a young daughter is sometimes, especially in uh, the church or Christianity, the easiest words or the uh, phrases and things we use the most are sometimes the most difficult to explain. You know, if you think about it, parents of children in here, um, you know, the question is, well, you know, why? Right? They always ask why. What is that? What is that? And you start, like, have you ever tried to explain to a child the color blue? You say, well, well, blue is the color of the sky. Well, what's the sky? Okay, well, it's the color of the water. Well, what's the water? You know, you, you find that sometimes the easiest things that we think we know are the hardest things to explain. And that's particularly true uh, in Christianity. And so the, the Luke chapter 17 has about uh, 760 words in it. And what we want to do this morning is just consider three of them. And it's the phrase in uh, the verses 5 and 6 where the disciples say, increase our faith. 
And so the word that we want to spend the most time on this morning, unpacking and understanding, is faith. You know, in, in a broader sense, where we are in the Gospel of Luke, we're uh, more than halfway through, uh, we find ourselves, the, the, the Lord has started a public ministry at this point, and it's a very fruitful ministry. Uh, people are being converted. Uh, people are, 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 are turning from the Old Testament law to follow Christ at this point. And so there's a, a bit of an unrest. And so Jesus, at the first part of chapter 17, is talking with his disciples. And they're having this dialogue. And he tells them that uh, a true Christian offers forgiveness, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, which is just meant to be a metaphor for every day, all day. As Christians, we should be administering forgiveness always. And so their response is kind of weird. They don't say, well, how do we do this? Or why should we forgive? Or what don't we forgive? What they say in response to Jesus telling them that they should forgive is increase our faith. And so Jesus then gives a, a very different metaphor. He tells them it's, it's not that you need more faith. That's why he uses the uh, metaphor of a mustard seed, which is very, very small. It's not that you need more faith. It's just that you need to understand who your faith is actually in. And you could say to this mulberry tree, which it's kind of the equivalent to uh, an oak tree, sort of. It, back then, uh, mulberry trees would have lived for 600 years or so. And so it would have been very big, powerful, strong trees. So the thought of taking a tree that size and throwing it into the ocean would have just been absurd. But Jesus' point is, it's not that you need more faith. It's you need a real understanding of who and what your faith is actually in. And so that's what we want to consider this morning. We want to consider, what is faith? Why do we need it? What, why is it important? Is it important? Are there benefits that can be felt and seen? Is it something that we could easily identify in our lives or the lives of others? We want to wrestle with all of these questions this morning. So before we, we get going, let me just kind of tell you sort of the outline if you're taking notes. We just want to consider it in three parts. Number one, what's it, let's just give a description. Let's give a robust description of what the Bible tells us faith is. Let's talk about an implication. How should this look? How can we identify it in our lives? And then we'll just finish with some application. How, how can we take this and apply it to our lives? So let me give you what I believe the Bible tells us that faith actually is. Because faith is one of those weird words. Um, in the Bible, we see it described and used in many different contexts. The, probably most commonly used with coming to faith, right? We think about somebody uh, going from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, going from knowing and trusting, not knowing and trusting God to trusting and knowing him. And so we think about the word generally in a conversion or a salvation sense. And it's used in that way uh, throughout scripture. But it's also used the same word, and it's not describing something different. It would be a little bit like, so I was in, I was in New York City, uh, I guess three weeks ago now, and I had some meetings in the New York Times building. And so, I mean, it's just a massive building. If, if four of us went to the New York Times building and all stood on four separate sides and said, describe the building, we would all have a little bit different description of what the New York Times building looks like, depending on which view we had. And so the same thing is true 
in the Bible of the word faith. That there are places throughout scripture where faith is described. And it's not describing something different. It's just describing the same thing from a different angle. And so just to sort of separate out here, just to kind of make it clear before we start. There's the the sense in which it's used as saving faith, which is what we mentioned earlier. And we see that in uh, scriptures in Acts and other places where people are coming to faith. But what Jesus is talking about in a sense of faith in Luke chapter 17 is what we'll call, just for our sake, active faith. It's this sort of living, breathing mechanism that a Christian has. And it's either growing and flourishing and vibrant or it's fading and weak and small. And it's this thing in which a Christian ought to tend to in their daily lives. And it's, we'll call that active faith. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here in verses five and six. And so let me give us a, a definition of faith. This is what will be sort of the baseline of what we talk about this morning. Faith is being certain that God is who he says he is and he will do for his people what he said he would do. So faith is being certain that God is who he says he is and that he will do for his people what he said he will do. So just in case you think I made that up, I'm going to tell you where I got that from. That's Hebrews 11, verse 6. I'll just read it quickly. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, so he is who he says he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. And he does for his people what he said he will do. So let's just start our first point here with unpacking both sides of that coin. God is who he says he is. There's my question. Who is God? I found that a lot harder to answer than I thought. Think about it. Not what is God, not what does he do for you. Who is God? How would you answer that? You know, Peter tells us that we ought to have a reason for the hope that we have. And so, my, you know, my daughter's not talking yet, but I'm sure that question's coming. You know, who is God? So throughout uh, the Christian faith, throughout the history of the Christian faith, there have been um, groups of people in different times that have put together uh, catechisms, creeds, documents, questions and answers, because Christians for thousands of years have asked and answered the same question. Who is God? Because if we want to believe who he's, that he is who he says he is, we ought to know who we think that he is. And so let me just read something. I think it'll be helpful for you. This comes from, it's a newer version of it, but the Westminster um, Shorter Catechism. It says, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Just to further the point, there was a a group of Baptists in 1689 that just added on to and said this. He is the alone fountain of all being, of, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures. 
So friends, who is God? Who is God to you? The Bible teaches us that he is the source of all of our hope. That he is the the foundation of our peace. That he is the, the, the fountain from which joy comes forward. He is the only place where life and rest and peace can be found. You know, some of the writers of the Old and New Testament have described God in these ways. Peter said he is patient. David told us that his favor isn't fleeting, but his favor or his grace lasts for a lifetime. Isaiah says that he is understanding and he upholds us. James, the brother of Jesus, says that he is the giver of every good gift. And Paul in Philippians tells us that his peace, God's peace, guards us and protects us. So let me, let me sort of sum that up. Who is God? He is the fountain from which all our joy, life, peace, and satisfaction come from. He is the purpose of all creation. So he is the fountain from which all our joy, life, peace, and satisfaction come from. So here's my question. And this is a question that I'm still having to square up for myself. If somebody observed your life, would they be able to say that God is their source of joy, peace, satisfaction, and hope? And I can't answer that for you. I'm in the process of sort of unpacking that for my own self and saying there are times where I think that's true. There are times where I believe that that's true of me, that I believe that God is who he says he is. There are just as many times where I don't believe that. And my life reflects it. So God is who he says he is. And he'll do for his people what he said he will do. What is that? You know, the Bible is full of instructions, of encouragements, of promises, of truth, of history. So when you boil it all down, what has God promised to do? For his children. We find that in Jeremiah chapter 32. And just if you want to go back and look at it, it's Jeremiah 32, 39, and 40. I'm just going to read part of it. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart and all my soul. So what does God promise to do for his people? He promises to do good in them and through them and for them and by them and with them. And, and if you'll notice, he doesn't just say, I'm committed to doing good to my people. He says, forever and ever, with all my heart and my soul, I will do good to my children. Which means that every bit of godness that God is, is totally and completely set on administering lavishly good on his people. 
That's not my opinion. That's not something I'm saying to make us feel better. That's what God himself has said is that he is holy and fully and eternally energetic about doing good to his people. That's hard for us to understand. I think that's why they created the phrase um, honeymoon phase, right? Because like we can't do anything for very long. Uh, you know, things lose their luster pretty quickly. But God is not like us, is he? God is eternally fixed on doing good to his people. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, describes it rather, that Jesus, the reason Jesus suffered, the reason Jesus died was so that God could show us, the word says, the immeasurable riches of his glory. David in uh, Psalms, in two places says, Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or Psalm 119 says, you are good and you do, and what you do is good. How can we say that? In the reality that most of us live in, how can we say that God always does good? And the answer is Christ. Because Christ is the certainty of God's kindness for the Christian. Now, I, I think we all will acknowledge that God doing good to us doesn't always look or taste or feel the way we want it to. You know, and I'm, when I'm saying God does good to his people, what I'm not saying is that you're guaranteed uh, prosperity or health or popularity or finances or favor. Although sometimes that is the way that he administers it. What I'm saying is that Romans 8.28, which says all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That no matter what has happened, no matter what will happen, friend, if you are found in Christ, it is for your good that those things have happened. You know, David relates to us in Psalm 119. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Or Isaiah in chapter 38 says, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. You know, praise God that we don't get the kind of goodness that we think we need. Praise God that we get the kind of goodness now and forever that he knows we need. Friends, this goodness, this kindness exists for those who will find their hope and trust in Christ. God is infinitely and eternally fixed on doing good to his people. And what is good is God. Jonathan Edwards says it like this, that God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. To enjoy him 
is our proper. Friends, now, a year from now, a hundred years from now, 10,000 years from now, the intensity of God's desire to do good to his people will not have wavered one bit. Believe that. If you are a Christian, that is yours to sink your teeth into. And although it doesn't look always like we want it to, know that you know that it is for your good that it is done. And so I think that leads us into the second part of if faith is believing or being certain that God is who he says he is, which is our only hope of source, only hope and source of life and joy, and that he does for his people what he said he will do, which is lavishly do good to them forever and ever. The next reasonable question is, then today, now, what should faith do in our lives? The answer, I think, is that if we have faith, if we believe that God is who he says, and he does for us what he says he'll do, if we have faith, then we can be certain of God's future grace. That's kind of a weird way to say something. We don't generally think about the word grace in a future sense or in a, um, a yet-to-come sense. And so a, a helpful quote from a pastor says, faith looks forward to grace promised in the future and feels hopeful. You know, that's the essence of, of Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for but not yet seen. And so if we have faith, we can be certain of God's future grace. And so let me just, let me make a bridge here. If we don't have faith, here's in essence what we're saying. That there is some event, there is some circumstance, there is some situation, there is some phone call from the doctor, there is some uh, unknown event at a future date in which God will either not be who he says he is or he will not do for his people what he said he will do. That's the essence of not having faith. If we have faith, then we can be certain that there is no future event. There is no future circumstance. There is no future disease, hardship, criticism, or anything else that will ever make God not who he says he is or will ever make God not do good to his people. There is no such event. For the Christian, there is no such circumstance. And so what I think I'm wrestling with is when I look back at my life, next month it'll be 11 years since God saved me. I have spent far too long as a Christian uh, being like, you guys remember after Hurricane, was it Matthew back in October? Hurricane Matthew? Somebody give me a nod. Is that what it was called? Thank you. <laughs> Told you I watch a lot of TV. There's a lot of names in my head. Hurricane Matthew, you guys ever, did you guys go by 38th and 48th Avenue 
Myrtlewood, all those pine trees were just snapped right over. I mean, there's 30, 40, 50 of them. I've spent far too long as a Christian being like those pine trees. That the moment that bad news comes, the moment that that something doesn't go the way I think it should, the moment that uh, I lose my job, the moment my finances don't look the way they should, the moment uh, the doctor says, I'm sorry, the, the moment I lose a loved one, the moment any of those things happen, I have snapped like the trees on 38th Avenue. I don't want to be that type of Christian anymore. I want to be what Jeremiah 32, I'm sorry, 17. Jeremiah 17 says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I want to be the type of Christian that cements myself on the promises of God, that am so stable and certain that God is who he says he is and that he will do for his people what he said he will do, that I'm not blown like James describes chaff in the wind, that I'm not moved back and forth, that I I can say with full confidence that, that there is nothing that could ever make you not who you are for me. That there is nothing in all of creation that can be for me what you are for me. I want to be that type of Christian. I want to have my roots so deeply planted in the promises of God that it doesn't matter what is said or what is done or what bad news is delivered. That I go back and I sing and I sing and I sing that God is who he says he is and that he will do for me what he promised he would do. Don't you want to be that type of Christian? I do, and I haven't been. And friends, that's my loss. That's our loss. Because this God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He is who he says he is. And he will always be for you and for me, Christian, who he says he will be. Which is the source of our hope, life, peace, satisfaction, and joy. So if faith is being certain that God is who he says he is. And that he will do for his people what he said he would do. And faith in our lives should look like us being certain of what we call future grace. That there is, no, there is no date or circumstance in which the goodness of God could ever be thwarted. What do we do with it? So let's just, and we're, we're going to wrap up, let's just ask and answer three questions. How do we get faith? How do we grow it? How do we keep it? So how do we get faith? Maybe you're in here, and I'm talking a foreign language. Maybe you're in here, and you've never been interested in God. God doesn't seem to be quite accommodating enough or 
You never felt a need for God, quite frankly. Here's what I would ask you. Is there anything in your life that no matter what will always provide you with rest, peace, satisfaction, and hope? I know that the answer is no, there isn't. Because at some level, all of us have had to ask and answer that question. You know, Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity on the minds of men. God has hardwired us to think about that question. And so if you're in here, I would just ask you to consider, do you want to know joy? Do you want to know peace? Do you want to know hope and meaning? Friends, that is only found in Christ. And so whether it's the person you came with or me or Randy or Dale or anybody, would you, would you at least start the conversation to say, does God really provide more for my heart, provide more for my soul than anything else? Would you at least wrestle with that question? Because friends, if you're honest about the answers, you're not satisfied. You're not content. Because you can't be unless you know Christ. So second question, how do we grow our faith? You know, maybe for some of us in here, faith feels kind of like a slippery thing. It's a hard thing. Doesn't feel like it's in much supply right now. Mental anxiety, suffering, hurt. Faith is not something that feels abundant and full. What do you do? You position yourself underneath the waterfall of the promises of God and you let them pour out of your mouth over your own soul every day. That no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That my God shall supply all my needs. That great is my reward in heaven. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God is for me, who can be against me? You let the promises of God pour out of your mouth over your own soul every day. And you wait. Because what does the Bible tell us about those who wait on the Lord? He renews their strength. Friend, if faith is hard for you right now, and you can't even take yourself to the promises of God, find somebody in here who will drag you and hold you there. Because as we wait on the Lord, he does renew our strength. Or maybe you have faith and it feels full and robust. Praise God. We know that faith is a gift. What do you do? Well, 
I think we ought to consider what Paul said to Timothy. First and foremost, we should guard the deposit entrusted us. We should structure our lives in such a way that we protect with everything that we have the preciousness of being able to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will always do good for his people. The second thing that we ought to do is we ought to find a brother or a sister and drag them along with us into the ocean of God's grace. That is our obligation. That is our responsibility to one another. When you see me or you see somebody in your community group or somebody here in the church struggling to believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do for his people what he said he will do. You say, brother, sister, let's go back to the promises of God. Let's go back. He can be trusted. He is enough. He will do good to you. And we remind each other over and over and over again. And in that, we find that we get a clearer picture of who God really is. And we're able to take a different lens to the things that happen around us. Pain still hurts. Loss still feels real, but there's a, there's a sweetness at the end of it. Because we know that in some way, somehow, it is God lavishing his goodness on his people. And so I don't, I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. I don't know if you're someone who has faith, struggles with faith, or maybe you've never even asked the question. But friends, we can know that God is who he says he is. And on the authority of scripture, he will always do for his people what he says he'll do. So we're going to have a, a moment here just to sit and consider who God is to us and for us uh, before we partake in communion. So if you will, let's pray um, and let's spend some time reflecting on our Lord. Father, we thank you that by your providence, by your design, by your purpose, We are here this morning. Lord, each of our journeys have been so different. And there are so many things that change frequently in our lives. But you never change. That when Jeremiah wrote those words, that you will make an everlasting covenant with us to do good to us with all your heart and soul. Thousands of years ago that you are the same today. And a hundred million years from now, you will be the same then. 
So we thank you for giving us access to your goodness, to your mercy, to your rest through your son Christ. Would you encourage and protect and guard your people? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.